forward-looking companies will encourage this behavior and realize that these side hustles are soon not even going to be side hustles and soon going to be the way of working. Hey friend, it's David Nabinski here in Brooklyn. Here at Portfolio Career Podcast, we help you take ownership of your portfolio career and design the life that you want to live. Today's conversation is with Nikki Goldman, uh, the founder of IO Coaching. You may remember Nikki from episode 31, where we talked about Nikki starting her company and the importance of listening skills. In this episode, you'll learn how Nikki has grown and scaled her coaching business without really using social media. Uh, you also learn how I wanted to work with Nikki a few years ago and how it ultimately how it ultimately brought us closer together despite it not working out at the time. I hope that this candid and open conversation is helpful to you. Uh, you also learn where Nikki thinks the future of portfolio careers and work is going. As always, this episode with Timestamp Notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which has the best insights from the podcast and friend source job opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Nikki. So good to see you. Welcome back. Round two. Round two. No pressure for me. Um, I guess one place I want to start is curious about is like, you know, as a coach, you have a lot of like one-on-one conversations with people. I'm curious if there's like certain themes or outliers to some of the one-on-one conversations you're having either with your clients or just personally. There's always a lot of themes that come up with coaching. And right now, Something that's coming up with a lot of my clients is this idea of abundance and scarcity and kind of having, thinking through scarcity mindset, operating out of fear, really trying to shift that to thinking from a mindset of abundance, of a mindset of if I could have it all, what would it look like? Um, So that is a conversation, I think, coming off the back of this past 18 months being really hard work shifting for many of my clients and also maybe not knowing exactly what's around the corner. Uh, adapting and embracing a mindset of abundance has been, um, has been crucial and has been really important for a lot of, a lot of the people who I have the privilege of working with. So that's certainly one of the themes that has been coming up. Yeah. And and what is, um, what is abundance or how do you think, like, is there something that maybe they could take more advantage of, or is there, you know, maybe cause you said like things have changed? Is there like new possibilities that, you know, some people might be a little bit more timid to take advantage of or any, any other kind of common themes you're seeing there? So when it comes to abundance, I mean, it, let's talk about what's happening now with the great resignation and everybody's job searching. So if we were to approach the job search from a place of scarcity, right, that's a fear-based, uh, fear-based approach where it's, Hey, um, I just need, I need to find the right job for me. And that, uh, and whatever comes, uh, whatever comes my way, uh, feeling like the first offer that you get, if you don't take it, you might lose it. And I see that a lot. And of course this is unconscious thinking, but if we were to shift it to a place of abundance, what would that look like? What would that talk track be like? It would be like, well, instead of just running somewhere, I need to jump. I need to jump to my next opportunity. What if the world was my oyster? What if I could get any job in the world that I'd want? What would I create? And it's really much more of a proactive mindset than a reactive mindset. Um, And uh, one thing I think is really interesting is how, uh, or awesome and major kudos to you is kind of growing your practice, correct me if wrong, but it's maybe been about three years or so. Uh, And, you know, 
largely not using social media. (laughs) It's been like three and a half years. And um, yeah, I've tried social media. It really just doesn't work for me. I just, I I can't figure out what feels right, what feels authentic. So I stopped, which is not popular among my uh, colleagues or my cohort. And, And it doesn't, you're still able to find new clients and then also kind of grow your team. Uh, you maybe talked to us about like, if you're not, you know, spending time there or getting uh, people learning about you that way, is there other things that you do or? Yeah. I think the most important thing to do in is to make sure that you're delivering great work. And I am in a referral-based business. Coaching is a word-of-mouth business. Certainly, I am sure coaches can find uh, clients through social media, but at the end of the day, your work has to speak for itself, especially in an industry like coaching where there's not a tangible product. But if you've gone through it and you've had a great coach, you do have tangible takeaways. So that is the product. So you have to make sure that you are refining your craft and delivering A-plus work. So that's number one. And then number two um, is really listening to your clients, what they want, asking for feedback, really hearing what's going on. I think a lot of coaches uh, make the mistake of going out to the market with their uh, proprietary method or their uh, special sauce or their program that they're going to put you through. But when I really dig in and I ask, well, where did you come up with that? It's what they think. It's not what the clients are saying. And you see a lot of that on Instagram and TikTok of like, I'm going to heal you with these 12 steps, but coaching at its best is tailored for the person. So to take a one size fits all approach is just going to be wrong. So spending time really listening to your clients, really having an ear to the ground to hear what, where the need is, where the pain point is and putting in that time up front will help you on the back end. And has kind of growing the team, has that been, uh, maybe talk to us a little bit about that of, you know, finding collaborators when it is to your point, you said like, um, you know, it is such a personalized business, but also there's likely synergies from having collaborators or, you know, people on your team. Um, Maybe talk to us a little bit about like that process of, you know, collaborating with people, growing the team. Yeah. And maybe some like motivations behind that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been really rewarding. I had the biggest block about doing it for the longest time. I knew, I knew cognitively that I wanted to scale and I wanted to grow, but I just, it took me years. I just couldn't pull the trigger on it. And it was really hard. It's still really hard for me. Um, it is still, I have, I'm still working through a lot that comes with giving away pieces of work and trusting the process and hiring. So um, I'll put that out there that it's difficult for me, but I, at this point I've hired six amazing, amazing coaches who uh, work at IO and deliver incredible work. And I admire them and they uh, my clients love them too. So they're doing something right. Um, And it's been, you know, it's the biggest blessing of it all. And what I didn't expect to get so much was this collaboration and really having thought partners myself to create better content, create better programs for our clients. And and at the end, add more value because we have just more brain power. Um, So while it hasn't been easy and it's not easy, 
it's underway and it's happening. And really the only reason why it happened was external forces. It was just a forcing function of just true, a real, real bandwidth issue. Wow. So then, so because the business has been growing and because there's more demand for coaching. So if there's, you know, coaches that are listening to this, like they should be, they should feel more confident in the work that they're doing or people that are getting coaching training to know, like, you know, if you put produce great results and stuff like that, that, that there's increasing demand. Is that kind of what you're hinting at Nikki? Yeah, I think so. I, I think, um, I think, so I have a B2B business. I only work with companies. So, um, businesses hire me to help, uh, shape and grow their leaders, to build high-performing teams, to work on effective communication. So for us, especially as work has changed and there's, a many people are trying to operate in a hybrid environment. Well, the rules of engagement have changed too. And companies are, at least for us, what we're seeing are trying to invest in their employees in different ways. And coaching is a really great way for them to invest in, in their managers and their leaders without them having to be in the office. So yes, there's a lot of demand. And I also think separately, just the attitude around coaching has changed. I think even as little as five years ago, coaching was seen as like a punishment. It was seen as a turnaround. It was seen if you're doing something wrong, we're going to get you a coach. This is the step right before you get fired. And it could not be more different now. Now it's seen as an investment. It's seen as someone who has high potential. We want to up level and that's the right way to look at it. Right. So the analogy I always give is just, if you were an Olympic swimmer, you were at the top of your game, you're going to have a coach with you to make sure that we are refining, we're tuning, we're giving feedback. We're making sure that every lap you swim is better than the next. And an executive coach can do the same thing for our business leaders. Mm. I don't have a coach. Um, it's in, wh- how do you think about like people that have portfolio careers? Like, is there, I know you mentioned you work mostly with uh, people that have like their companies pay for them, but maybe that's just a different type of coaching of like branding or positioning or, you know, kind of business coach versus more uh, leadership coaching. Yeah. I think that that's a different kind of coaching and there's lots of different kinds of coaching, right? There's life coaching, there's business coaching, there's career coaching, and then there's leadership or executive coaching, which is what I do. All of them are valid and add tons and tons of value for their clients. For us, for IO coaching, we made the decision that we want to be a mile deep instead of a mile wide. So uh, where we are pretty industry agnostic uh, and size agnostic when it comes to our clients, we are niche in that we only do leadership. Hmm. Oh, okay. And so then the other people on your team also same type of thing, leadership as well. That's not, okay. And so you talked about kind of growing of the team and things like that. Um, I know we had a couple of conversations back in the day. um, And I actually was reflecting a lot on when we were talking about some of the stuff of maybe collaborating and and working together in the past and, you know, things didn't work out for whatever, uh, for good reason or for, uh, for the time. Um, but I think what's really amazing is how, like, I think our relationship got stronger and I don't think that that's very common. Um, so I want to honor you for that. Um, but I think it's also been really amazing and goes back to kind of the abundance stuff that you're talking about too, is like, it's maybe not right fit right now for whatever reason, but yet those relationships or those conversations can still be like 
starting points or new chapters or launch pads to something more. And I hadn't really like experienced that as much until like with you. And I think it was probably because like the messaging and just like the way the conversation was. And I think like one thing that I've been trying to remember is like, if it's like no or not right now, it's like, that's just like, it can, it doesn't mean like the relationship or friendship is over. Right. And I think uh, I've probably thought about that before of like, if I get turned down, then like it's over. Yeah. I mean, I think you bring up a great point and there's so many different ways we can take it. I think one reaction I have is oftentimes, and we see this all the time in the workplace is that we personalize every experience, right? Well, and it makes sense. We are the star of the show. We are the main character. So we only see the world as we are. So it's going to make sense to personalize it. But what I really, really, the first thing I do when things get tough with my clients, what I try to help them to, to do is perspective mapping. So we do something along the lines of where we take every person who's involved in a situation. Sometimes it's just one person, sometimes it's multiple people. And we really try to do an in their shoes work exercise. So it's, okay, what could, let's guess about what's going on in their world. Let's guess on their intentions. Let's guess on what their uh, cost benefit analysis might be. And we do that for every person involved in a conflict, in a tough conversation, whatever it might be. And very quickly, what we do is we gain empathy for the other person. So um, that's one, that's the first step in making a tough conversation not so tough. So when going back to our example, uh, what I think you did really well was see into my world and ask me questions about what's going on. And I think quickly what we realized that it actually has nothing to do with you, had nothing really to do with me, had, well, a little bit because I wasn't really ready, but mostly had to do with timing and me feeling like I didn't have a grasp on what the business needed and not knowing if it was the right time. So, and and when you really get to the truth of it, or at least as truthful as we can get, it's much harder to personalize those kinds of things. Yeah. Perspective mapping. That's really, um, uh, I love that example. And I think like the, the way that you kind of shared feedback, like actually gave me more confidence in myself. Um, so I think like the way that, yeah, I think I just remember, I was like, oh, wow. Like she's like, it didn't work out right now, but like, I feel more confident, uh, in myself. And so I, I, I think about the Maya Angelou quote, it's like, people won't remember what you say, but they remember how you made them feel. And so like, I think like my initial reaction was kind of like, like I'm kind of hurt, but I'm also feeling like great about this. Like, this is weird. Like this weird, like, you know, kind of like yin and yang kind of feel, but, um, yeah. So I think like these, just like the words that we use and are just super, uh, important and, uh, again, perspective taking, right. Like you were kind of communicating like, Hey, I think you're great. And, you know, to some extent, like more qualified or, or have strengths in other areas. And you like highlighted those, uh, compared to like, sorry, talk to you later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a level of transparency and, and over communication that exists too, where I always say to my clients, if you think, if you're thinking something, you think that person might want to know, they probably really do. So tell them. And that's a pretty good rule of thumb to kind of live by, especially when uh, there's high pressure situations or things seem to be getting a little harder. Asking yourself, 
is there more that I can communicate? How can I give as much transparency as possible to a situation? Now, of course, sometimes there are things that you need to withhold, but usually we make a lot of assumptions on what that other person already knows. Because remember, we only see the world as we are, not as it is again. So we, our brain is just moving so fast that we forget there are so many missing pieces that you didn't know about what I was going through or how I perceived our conversations. So what I did there is I took the time to tell you and it seems like it paid off. Yeah, totally. Uh, and in this kind of new world, uh, you know, hybrid, et cetera, or um, it seems like communication is a even more important skill and even more, you know, needed in the workplace. Um, do you have any ideas on or tips or, you know, practical things that people could do to like better communicate? I mean, one, well, you just shared one of like, if you have an idea that somebody might want to know something, tell them, but can maybe provide a little bit more information about, about that as they're like, you know, weekly emails or recaps or any, anything else that kind of jumps out of how people can better communicate? Absolutely. I talk about this with my clients all the time. The key here is that it's co-created. It's not a one size fits all. So when I work with teams on team effectiveness, one of the things that we'll do is that we'll sit together and understand all of our different communication styles. And usually they're all vastly different and then co-create a plan about what's going to work on an individual level and at a team level. For example, I have a team that I'm working with right now where um, the team lead, the CMO, absolutely loves Slack, hates email. And she is a mile a minute kind of person. She is super direct. So Slack works for her. She is firing off Slacks all day. And when you sit with with her, she doesn't expect an answer at 2 a.m. She doesn't, she doesn't necessarily expect that you answer every one of her Slack. She's very reasonable. That's just her preferred method of communication. Now, when we sat down with her team, guess what that was doing to the rest of everyone? stressing them out to no end, getting constant stream of Slacks. And when we asked for the preferences, only 15% of the rest of the team preferred Slack to other modes of communication. Her team has a very different communication style than she does. So that was eye-opening for everyone to realize, wow, we are not optimized in our communication. So what we do is we co-create norms. We talk about, okay, how do we want to handle just status updates, data that we need to report on. How do we wanna handle feedback? Even if it's just a quick, hey, in this graphic, I wanna change the green to blue, that's feedback. How do we wanna handle that? How do we wanna handle our catch-ups? How do we wanna handle if I have a quick question on the fly? And what we do is we create guides for each person. Sometimes we call them a user manual. You might've heard of that. We create a guide for each person, but then we also create norms for the team where we kind of created a, what we take as unwritten contract, make it written so that we can um, have something that we, that we all have agreed on, all have given a, hand, a virtual handshake on. And, uh, and then the key here is that we check in on it in six weeks and we say, what needs to be changed? We know we didn't nail it on the first try. What, what do we need to iterate here on? Yeah, love that. Uh, on, the, on the topic of co-creation, and then also you talked about like, coaching being provided more and more towards employees and, uh, and teams and stuff. Are you seeing more or how are you, um, 
are your clients or the companies that you work with, how, how are they kind of thinking about like side hustles or, you know, in addition, in, in a time period of the great resignation and things, all that stuff, um, you're smiling. So I'm probably just going to stop talking and turn it over to you, but you know, how, how are you, how, like, how's that coming up these days, Nikki? Yeah, no, I'm smiling because I think it's so important. And the truth is, I don't think companies are forward thinking on it enough. And I really encourage my clients not to be scared when someone on your team opens an Etsy shop, not to be scared when somebody posts a profile on Upwork for graphic design, when they are in customer service. Forward-looking companies will encourage this behavior and realize that these side hustles are soon not even going to be side hustles and soon going to be the way of working. And they would do well to adapt. And of course, as long as it doesn't take away from their quote unquote day job, but to adapt and make accommodations to encourage creativity, to encourage personal development and professional development of their employees. So this is something I feel really strongly about. I think, especially with our younger generation coming up in, um, in the workplace, our Gen Zers who, uh, have learned anything that they ever need to know by watching a YouTube video. I think it's going to be so important to encourage their creativity and their, uh, diversity of skill set. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, basically the employee has the upper hand here, I, I believe. And you said that it's, it's changing. Uh, you mean like that's, like you said, the person with the Etsy shop, like they're going to be, that's going to be kind of the norm. Do you mean like just people are going to have like right now it's happening a little bit or are you, are you, are you, are you thinking it's just going to be more and more employees are going to be having side hustles, personal projects, et cetera. And it's not going more to be. More. I think it has to do with access and the accessibility of it. So certainly it's already started, but even more and more as more opportunities come up and that fill a need for that person, whether it's extra money to drive Uber, whether it is um, fulfilling a creative need going on Etsy, whether it is uh, being a content creator on TikTok. There are so many options out there. And I believe, I be- I believe that we, this is just the beginning. And remote work and working from home and stuff, that's, that's kind of the enabler, so to speak, or that's an enabler. I think just all the platforms that exist, the accessibility of it is, but I will make a distinction. I, I, and while I don't think, um, I do think, uh, remote work does encourage this behavior and, and, and I don't think that's going anywhere. I do want to make the distinction between remote work and working from home. I believe working from home is terrible. Um, I think it's really hard when you have kids screaming in the background and you just have a lot going on. But remote work, working from wherever you'd like, maybe it's a home office, maybe it's a WeWork, maybe it's a coffee shop. I don't think that's going anywhere. And so the accessibility of the platforms combined with the freedom to work wherever you want, I think just lends itself to much more um, adoption of these side hustles or gigs or whatever you want to call them. Portfolio careers. Uh, Or portfolio careers, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And... And then going back to like to what we were talking about earlier, if communication is strong, you know, if you're saying, hey, I'm doing this, here's how I communicate, seems like this is how you like to communicate. And, you know, here's what we can co-create. Then, you know, after I deliver X uh, and you receive what you need, then I can go do these other things. Yeah. And I don't want to minimize the 
bravery it takes to have those tough conversations. Having tough conversations are hard and over-communicating is hard. It's much easier to avoid, but when we avoid, that's when a tough conversation becomes tough. So you're absolutely right. Being forthright and um, acknowledging what's happening and giving, not making the other person do the work of perspective mapping, giving them your perspective will go a long way, but it's hard to do. And it takes muscle memory of doing it often. The more tough conversations we have, the easier they become. Okay. Well, Nikki, this has been an incredible conversation. Um, I hope listeners go back and listen to the prior one. We talked a lot about listening skills there. So um, I think listening is almost, it's a different skill over Zoom than it is in person too. I'm not sure if you've... Oh, it is. Yeah, it just is. I mean, there's... Listening is so much more than just hearing the words that are being said. There's there's body language, tone of voice, environment. So many nonverbal factors play into listening. So with Zoom, especially as you see yourself and you're trying to pick up on what's going on, reading between the lines, hear what's not being said with the other person, um, it's it's a different it's a different ballgame. Got it. Cool. Uh, please let um, listeners know where they can learn more. And if there's anything else that you think we missed, please, please let us know where we can continue to learn Nikki, but this was such a great conversation. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. You just go to iocoaching.co, I-O-C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G.co. And you can subscribe to my newsletter. I semi-regularly write blog posts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Coaching on your own terms. That's right. Thank you so much, Nikki. Thank you for having me. Hey, friend. Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Um, You can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much.